You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Good morning. That's weak. Good morning. I know it's cold and I know it's icy, but it's fixing to get real hot in here, all right? And so, if you know what I mean, all right? So let's warm up a little bit, right? A quiet church is a dead church. We're not a dead church, all right? We have a reason to celebrate and be happy and smile and, and have a good time in the Lord, all right? Um, hey, happy Valentine's Day to you. Is my wife in here? Is she? Uh, especially happy Valentine's Day to my wife. And so, love you so much. I get to say that. I have the mic. And so if you had the mic, you could say that to your wife. And so... Um, it, my wife has the hardest job in the world because not only does she stay home with our kids uh, every single day and take care of them, but she has to also take care of me. And so uh, when I'm having a, a bad day or I'm feeling pressure, if I found out we just had to spend 30000 extra dollars we weren't planning on at a building or someone calls and accuses us of being a cult or whatever, she's the one I go home to. And so she has to deal with all that. And so love you more than ever. Uh, super committed to you. Thankful for you. You're the greatest gift in my life outside of Christ. And so... Um, Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. If it's your first time here, uh, welcome. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors of this church. And on behalf of the pastors and the members, let me welcome you. Our hope is that you go from feeling like guests to feeling like family. We really mean that. We want you to feel like this is a place where you belong. And uh, if you're wondering, uh, how do I know if I fit in? Uh, Just ask yourself this question. Am I imperfect? And if you are not perfect, you fit in, okay? Because we're a bunch of imperfect people just in the need of Jesus together. And so, again, we're glad that you're able to, um, to be here. We are in a series that we've entitled Golden Honey. It's a series uh, title that we've taken from Psalm 19, where the Bible says that God's law is to be more desired than gold and is more precious than honey. Um, And and, and what we're just discovering together is that God's law uh, really is good. It's not outdated. It's something that actually, if we understand it correctly and we apply it to our lives, we can experience uh, a deeper and a richer and a fuller life that God has intended for us to experience um, with Him. And so what we've been doing is just commandment by commandment, just walking through the Ten Commandments. And today... On Valentine's Day, we come to the seventh commandment, and I'm just going to put it on the screen for you. It's really short. Do we have it on the screen? There it is. Happy Valentine's Day. God bless. All right? (laughs) And so, um, you shall not commit adultery. I know this seems like a bizarre command uh, to cover on the day of love. My hope is that by covering it, uh, we will actually experience the greatest love of all time. Uh, that is found in Christ, and that we actually will leave here today, though it will feel heavy at times. It will feel heavy at times, and you will have some interesting conversations on the way home for some of you. Um, My hope is still at the end that you will feel uh, very encouraged by the word that God has for, uh, for us today. So let me just pray for us, and then we'll dive in and talk about what this commandment means. Father, I do thank you so much for each person who is here, and, um, I know around this topic of of sex and sexuality and adultery, there are some here who um, have been on both sides of this, and maybe they walk in in shame and guilt, or even right now they're thinking, why did I get out of bed and come through the ice for this? And um, Would you please just help me, Holy Spirit, to be very tender and uh, and to, to love your people well, because I know that everyone here is deeply loved by you, no matter who they are or what they've done. And so would you just right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, take these words, make them alive in our hearts, transform us for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ that we pray these things. Amen. I want to see a show of hands in here. Um, it's always a good way to start, right? We're talking about adultery. Um, 
You, sir. No. Um, how many of you in here like chocolate? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, the majority of us in here uh, like chocolate. I actually love chocolate, and the reason I love it is because I think chocolate pretty much works anytime. If you're down, chocolate can pick you up, right? If you're happy, chocolate's a great way to celebrate. Um, if you're bored, chocolate can uh, bring excitement into your life, okay? Um, I love chocolate. I know that fitness gurus like my brother would say that because chocolate has a lot of sugar in it, you've got to be careful with it. But honestly, I don't want to, okay? I want to be reckless with chocolate. I want to consume as much of it as I can whenever I can. The problem is, though, combined with my obsession for chocolate is an equal disinterest in working out, okay? Um, I love chocolate, but I don't love working out. Now, do I work out? Yes. Do I like working out? No. Do I like chocolate? No. I love it, okay? And so as you can imagine, if my feelings is what drove my life, this is pretty much what my schedule would look like. I would wake up in the mornings, and I would take 10 M&M cookies. I would put them in the microwave. I would zap them for about 30 seconds, and I'd eat them with a glass of milk. Then between breakfast and lunch, I would eat two Cosmic Brownies. I'd probably sit on them in my back pocket so they'd be good and warm and mushy, and I'd eat those. After uh, lunch, I would eat Oreos. And between uh, lunch and dinner, because I office at either Swirls or something sweet, I would eat a cinnamon roll at Swirls or just like a cup of icing if they would let me from something sweet. And then after dinner, I would probably have a, a Snickers ice cream bar. Okay? Seriously. And if my feelings were driving my life, nowhere in there would I work out. Okay, and you say, Jerry, why would you live that way? Well, it's easy because chocolate brings instant gratification. Working out doesn't, okay? And if it does for you, you've got problems, all right? Chocolate is something that, though health experts say is so wrong, doesn't at times it just feel so right? Can I get an amen? All right? Whereas working out, on the other hand, though health experts would say is so good for you, often seems a little oppressive, right? Because working out doesn't give you instant results. Working out takes things like time, commitment, discipline, and work, right? So here's the deal, though. What I've discovered in my life is, though I absolutely love chocolate, and I love it when I'm indulging in it, nine times out of ten, after I have indulged in chocolate, guess what? I regret it after I've done it. I'm sitting there thinking, uh, this has given me no nutritional value, it's probably going to give me diabetes or cancer or whatever else they're all saying that it does now. Um, it, it makes me have a sugar rush where I'm like, woo, and then like I just crash, right? And, and so I usually regret it afterwards. But on the other hand, when it comes to working out, though it is something at the time that does take a little discipline and does take some work, after it's over, guess what? I feel great. I feel energized. I feel lighter. I feel stronger. I go home, I like want to walk around with my shirt off, right? Because I've got like a little swell going. And so I'm like going up to my son, like flexing, like, you want some of this, buddy? And he's like, ah, you know? And so, I mean, I love it though, right? Because after I work out, I mean, I just, I just feel like it's making me stronger. It's making me healthier. It's enhancing my quality of life. And here's why I share all that. You're like, are you ever going to preach today? Yes, I will. Here's why I share all of that is because we live in a culture where we are bombarded by this message right here. If it feels right, it must be right. We live in a culture that says if it tastes good, if it looks good, if it feels good, then you should go for it. I mean, we live in a society, do we not, that says if you want 
to live the good life, you need to take what you want, when you want, and how you want. Because that is really the only road to true happiness. That's what we hear in our culture. Therefore, when we come to this command, do not commit adultery. Do not have sex outside of marriage. If we can be honest, I think we live in a culture that says that seems pretty old school and quite honestly, a little oppressive. But what I want you to hear today is, listen, God commands us to not have sex outside of marriage, and here is why. Not because sex is so sinful, but because it's so sacred. God tells us he doesn't want us to have sex outside of marriage, not because sex is so bad, but because it is so good, as long as it's within the right boundaries. Think about sex like this. Sex, in some ways, is like fire. Fire in itself is not a bad thing. Can we agree? Right? In fact, if you have a fireplace in your home, you know that fire can be a very good thing. It can warm your house up. It can be aesthetically beautiful. It's something that you can enjoy. It can be good. Now, unfortunately, in a lot of Christian circles, a lot of Christians are all fireplace and no fire. You know what I mean? It's like they basically believe the lie that when, when God created Adam and Eve, he actually created them with clothes on them. He turned his back, Satan peeled the clothes off of him, and then gave Eve female parts and Adam male parts and told him to have sex. Right? It's almost the way we, we, we think. But the reality is God created sex before the fall. God created sex to be good. We shouldn't be embarrassed by sex. Right? Sex is not a bad thing. But some of you, maybe you grew up in a home where it was very taboo. It's like most of you probably like never even really had the talk with your parents, and if you did, it was incredibly awkward because it was 18, which means it was like 10 years past when they should have had the talk with you. <laughs> it's like, if you only knew. And so, um, which by the way, side note, parents, let me encourage you, if you have little ones, begin to talk about sexuality in a very appropriate ways very early on. For us, for me and my wife, here's what this means. I've got a four-year-old, about to be a three-year-old, and as soon as we begin to, to clothe them, to put clothes on them, and, uh, and to actually be able to communicate with them, here's what we would say. We'd say to Nora or Wyatt, listen, the reason you have to wear clothes is because God has given you special places that are not bad, they're good. And the reason, the, the reason we cover them up is because they're so good, they're just meant for one person someday, and for nobody else. They're not, it's, it's a gift. And so like, we begin to have that conversation with him early on, because I don't want to, at 12, be like, so there's this thing called sex, you see? And it's like, okay, that's awkward, right? Talk about sex in appropriate ways. It is not a bad thing. But some Christians, right, are they're all fireplace and no fire. And that's wrong. But on the other side, some swing the pendulum the other way, and they're all fire and no fireplace. And so these are the ones in culture that would say we should be able to have sex freely with whoever we want, however we want, whenever we want. And what you need to see is both views of sexuality is wrong. A fireplace without a fire is cold. But a fire without a fireplace, without boundaries, can be catastrophic. A, a fire within its right boundaries can warm a house up, but fire outside of the right boundaries can burn a house down. And you see, the same thing is true when it comes to sex. And because God knows this, because God knows sex is powerful and it is beautiful, beautiful within the proper boundaries, He creates sex within the boundaries of marriage. And in order for us to understand why, he puts it within the boundaries of marriage. You need to understand what he says about marriage. And so I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Mark chapter 10. This is Jesus' words. Listen to what Jesus says about marriage. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. If you want a good definition of marriage, here it is. You ready? For taking notes, you can write this down. Marriage is this. Marriage is one man and one woman living together as one flesh for one life. According to the Bible, marriage is between one man and one woman living as one flesh for one life. And you say, okay, what does it mean to live as one flesh? Well, to live as one flesh literally just means that you have all things in common, right? That you're one financially, you're one legally, you're one relationally. I mean, the list could go on and on and on. Before you were married, you were two separate people living two separate lives. But when you get married, something mysterious happens. When you make your commitment before God and man, where now you become one flesh. What's yours is theirs, and what's theirs is yours. There are no secrets. There are no closed doors. There are no walls. Just complete oneness. That's what marriage is according to the Bible. And here's what you have to see again is by God's design, not man's design, by God's design. Here's what he says. When you get married, I want you to say your vows before me and before others. I want you to make a commitment to one another. And then God says by his design, I want you to get naked and I want you to have sex. It's in the Bible. It's here. And the reason why God wants us to have sex within marriage is, listen, sex, according to the Bible, is a sacred act that actually symbolizes the oneness of your relationship with your spouse. When you have sex with your spouse, here's what you are actually saying. You are saying to them, I am now giving you my entire body because I've already committed to give you my entire life. That's what sex is, is all about. And listen, this flies in the face of culture, doesn't it? Our culture does not view sex this way. Our culture views sex and relationships in general through a consumeristic bin, to where we say, if you will adapt to me and do whatever I want, I will stay with you. But at the point you stop adapting to me and meeting all of my needs, I'm out. That's the way our culture views relationships. What the Bible says, marriage is not this way. Marriage is not meant to be consumeristic. It's meant to be covenantal. Jesus says in Mark 10, it's meant to last for a lifetime. And so when you have sex with your spouse, what you're saying is everything I have is yours. I'm giving you my entire life until death do us part. This is what true love is. True love is not, imagine this, going to a wedding, a guy being like, I, Gary, take you, Barbara, to be my wife as long as I'm feeling it. (laughs) How romantic would that be? You'd be like, that's weird, and she needs to run. That's not love. True love is promising a sacrificial love when the wheels fall off. It's saying, I'm committing to love you through sickness and health, rich and poor, sagging or not sagging. Right? Like, I am going to be with you no matter what. I am going to love you in a way that is special and unique from any other relationship I have with anybody else on the earth. But unfortunately... In our individualistic culture that is all about experience, where we have so many options, we don't view marriage this way oftentimes. And in our culture, we often just believe that, man, if I have a good experience, I will stay. If I don't have a good experience, I'm going somewhere else. And we do this everywhere. We do it with gyms. Which gym is better? We do it with churches. Which preaching or music do I like better? 
We do it with schools, we do it with restaurants, and unfortunately, we even do it in marriage. As long as this is a good experience, I'm here. If not, I'm looking for a better experience somewhere else. And none of us are immune to this. I was thinking, um, I actually, we're part of a network called Actually Nine, and every now and then Actually Nine, um, it's a church planning network, they will send me somewhere to assess a church planner to see if he's ready to plan a church. And so a couple years ago, there was a, a guy and his wife they had been on the mission field for 30 years in Ethiopia. They'd been married for 25 years. They had put, they'd done all of their pre-assessment stuff. It takes about six to eight months to do it. And then all of it came to me, and I had to meet them in Tennessee to assess them to see if they were ready to plant a church in southern Mississippi. I go and I meet with them, and it's very clear. I mean, they, they love one another. They love the church, and they love Jesus. The assessment went very well. I put my stamp of approval on them, said, yes, you can go plant in southern Mississippi. Last year, though, however, um, some of you maybe have heard of the website, Ashley Madison. hope you've not been on the website, but you've heard of it. Ashley Madison's mission statement is this, life is short, have an affair. And last year, a list of the people on Ashley Madison, members on Ashley Madison, was released to the public. Over 400 pastors were on the list. One of them was this man that I assessed. As you can imagine, his wife was devastated. He stepped down in ministry. And, and I mean, I, I don't share any of that to throw him under the bus. It could very well be me or it could be you. All I'm just trying to say is this. No matter who you are or how long you've been married, no matter how close you think you walk with Christ, all of us, I think, are tempted to believe that we should build our life off experience. And if the experience is good, I will stay. If the experience is not good, I'm going somewhere else. What I want you to hear this morning is this. Please hear me. Guys, according to the Bible, marriage is not a commitment to an experience. Marriage is a commitment to a person. And it's a commitment that Jesus himself said is to last for a lifetime. He says no man should break this up. And the reason it's so important, the reason marriage is so important to God is because, listen, we don't have time to look at all the passages, but like in Hosea chapter 1 and 2 and Ephesians chapter 5, you know what the whole point of marriage is? Marriage is not primarily about an earthly romance between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, marriage is about a divine romance between God and man. Marriage is meant to be, according to Ephesians 5, a reflection of the covenantal love that Jesus has for his people. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that our marriage, literally, your marriage is meant to be a movie trailer to other people to where they look and they get a beautiful message of the gospel. Isn't that crazy? Like, how many of you heard that before you said your I do's? Marriage is meant to be a reminder to other people that there is a Savior who said, despite your sins, despite your shortcomings, despite your failures, before you ever did anything good for me, Jesus came and he said, I'm going to give my entire life for you. I'm going to lay down everything that I have for you so that we can have a relationship together that is eternal. Marriage is meant to give a picture of that gospel to the world. And so listen, when you understand the significance of sex within the boundaries of marriage, what you see is sex itself is about the gospel. Sex is about the gospel. It's about saying to the other person that you were married to, just as Christ laid down his life for me, for my good, I am laying down everything that I have for you, for your good. But on the flip side, 
when we choose to have sex outside of marriage, we literally preach a message that is the antithesis of the gospel to the one we are engaging in sex with. Maybe some of you are even involved in a relationship right now where you were having sex outside of marriage. And I just want you to think, here's what you were saying to the other. You were saying, I don't really want to give you everything that I have, but I want you to give me everything you have. And I want to keep my foot in the door in case there's something else better out there. When we have sex outside of marriage, listen, what you need to understand is as romantic as it feels, what you are saying to the other is, I love your body, but I hate your soul. It is a huge deal. We've got to redeem the view of sex. In our culture, we don't think sex is better than what God thinks sex is. We think it's, we, we, we lower the bar for sexuality. We think in our culture that sex is just a transaction that we make if we want to get a little pleasure. According to God, sex is not just a transaction. Sex is a tangible expression that we make whenever we commit our lives to somebody. It, whenever we commit before God and man that we are with you no matter what. Sex is a really big deal to God because marriage is a big deal to God. And the reason marriage is a big deal to God is because the gospel is a big deal to God. Do you understand the correlation? Sex within the boundaries of marriage and the gospel actually go hand in hand. That's why it's sacred and that's why it should not be taken lightly. Some of you dudes that are married right now are loving this because you're like, I now have a new angle to work in my marriage if my wife doesn't want to have sex. It's like, baby, I know we're both tired, but you know what we both need right now? The gospel. <laughs> Somebody's like, ah, that's why the gospel is good news. Uh. <laughs> when you were married, you were committing to that person to give them everything you have, to love them in spite of their flaws, to love them in spite of their shortcomings. But when you have sex with somebody outside of marriage, you break that seal that you've made, that commitment with your spouse, and in the meantime, you belittle the person you're having sex with, you dilute the gospel, and you enslave yourself. That's what this command was given. Remember in Exodus 20, verse 2? Before God ever gave a command, what did he say to Israel? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God says, don't you, you get it? Like, you were enslaved. You were oppressed. You had a master back in Egypt that was driving you into the ground. You cried out to me and because I love you. Because I want you to actually experience freedom. I went through a lot to free you from slavery. But now by the time that we come to the Ten Commandments, we find Israel is back in slavery again. Not physical slavery, but a spiritual slavery. And what God says is again, because I love life, because I want you to be free, I am giving you these laws. And what does he say? He says, if you want to experience the life I've created you to experience, do not have sex outside of marriage. And it's so hard to believe this law is good, isn't it? Yesterday, I... Um, I was on my way to the Red Goose, and I had to open, I think it's like 7.45, I'm opening the doors for some wall guys that are coming in, and all of a sudden I see some blue lights behind me, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me, and so I pulled over to the hamburger station, I pull over, and a state trooper walks up to me, and he says, uh, first thing he says is, 
Have you ever heard of Paul's law? And I'm thinking, Paul's law? Like, I'm a pastor. Like, I've heard of the Apostle Paul. I'm preaching on the law. Like, um, are you talking about? No, no, I, I don't think I've heard of the Paul's law that you're thinking. What's the Paul's law? Some of you have heard of it. The Paul's law is basically this. There was a man, and maybe some of you knew this man, named Paul Davidson a couple years ago. He had three kids, was driving, minding his own business. Someone was texting and driving, hit him head on and killed him. And so a law was passed in Arkansas that if you were texting and driving, right, it's breaking the law. And the state trooper looked at me and said, now, were you texting and driving? And I was like, Yes, actually, I was texting Brandon Treat. And so, um, I didn't actually throw your name out there, so. But I was texting. I was texting Brandon, because he was trying to get some stuff. And um, he said, okay. He said, uh, well, I'll just tell you, man. He said, texting and driving kills more people a year than drinking and driving. So we're coming down really hard on people that are texting and driving. I'm thinking, I'm going to jail. Like, this, <laughs> like, this is not good. So I'm going to be starting a jail MC. And so... He grabs uh, my, my license, he goes, he comes back, and he says, look, man, because you were honest, I'm not going to give you a ticket, I'm just going to give you a warning. And I was like, whew. And so he, he gives me my card, and listen, I'm driving to the Red Goose, and I'm mad. I'm like, there wasn't a car on the road. It was so early. I'm like, there wasn't a car out there. Everybody's sleeping. I was about to pull up in the road. How dare he pull me over and give me a warning? Over? I mean, I'm, I'm an adult. Tell me I can't text, right? But then all of a sudden it hit me. The reason they're enforcing this law is for my good. The reason they're enforcing this law is because they don't want me or someone else to die. And it's the same way here with thou shalt not commit adultery. Isn't it so easy to look and go, are you freaking kidding me? I'm an adult. How dare you tell me who I can and can't have sex with? But what God says is you still don't get it. The reason I've given you this is because I love you and I want to protect you and I want to keep you from ignoring this law and therefore as a result endangering yourself or someone else. Maybe for some of you, you sit here this morning and you're thinking, whoo, I'm glad I've never cheated on my wife. Man, I'm glad I'm not having sex with someone that's not my wife. I feel so good. I mean, this is a command. Yes, like, let's mark this off the list and go to the next one. Finally, I got one right. Then Jesus comes on the scene. And where's what Jesus does? There's a big myth out there that whenever Jesus came on the scene, he lowered the bar of righteousness. He actually raised it quite a bit. And he says in Matthew 5, You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And keep in mind, he's saying this to a bunch of spiritual people. Like, yes, we have heard that one, and we're awesome. Well, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Maybe you've never physically cheated on your spouse. And right now, you're feeling pretty good about that. Maybe you're even looking down on others who have. Jesus says you shouldn't be so impressed with yourself. What Jesus says is according here, what we see in the scripture, is that the physical act of adultery and mental sexual fantasies make no difference morally in the eyes of God. Who in here is guilty of adultery? Those who, yes, have physically had sex with someone who is not their spouse and those who just have mentally thought about it in the secret places that no one else has seen. And who in here would say they're completely 100% innocent in this area? Because we live in a sinful world, I think that all of us in here, I really do, I think all of us are sexual sinners. As a pastor, I can honestly say I have never physically committed 
adultery on my wife. I'm not saying I'm above that, but I never have one time physically cheated on her. I've never physically committed adultery on my wife, but you know what? I have committed adultery on her in my heart more times than I can count. Even this past week, I'm with Matt Jackson. We're working out, and uh, I was talking to him about this as I'm working on the sermon. And the gym is a, is a tough place to stay pure because in the gym, not only are there weights and a bunch of stinky dudes that are grunting like trying to prove something, you know, but there's also a lot of girls in yoga pants. And uh, let me just tell you what's really easy to do is to, uh, to position yourself in the gym and think, I can get a look at this girl. She's not going to know about it. My friends I'm working out with aren't going to know about it. My wife isn't going to know about it. The church isn't going to know about it. What's the harm? Well, God knows about it. And what God says is it is absolutely sinful. It's just as sinful as physically going and doing something with that girl. And if it's left unchecked and unabated, it will lead to destruction in one way, shape, or form. Some of you are like, dude, this pastor is messed up. He's getting pulled over for texting and driving. He's lusting. You're right. I am messed up. And let me just say this, by the way, while we're on the topic. If you ever find a church where a pastor says he's not messed up and he doesn't have sin, you need to run. Because I'll tell you right now, he's going to build the church on himself and not Jesus. Jesus is our hero. He is the one that we look to. And listen, maybe for some of you, lust isn't a problem in the gym. You're like, I haven't worked out in my entire life. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe there are some of you in here that... Um, you're in looking at pornography. Porn is so easy because you don't have to romance your girl. You just find who you want and you get the feeling of her saying, you're the man. And then you can clear your history. Right? It's done. And it's not just something for, for men, by the way. I know girls struggle with porn too. I've heard this say, I know it's a, it's a generalization, but I think it's true most of the time, is that men will often trade love for sex. Women will trade sex for love. So I think that women that look at porn, they're looking at it for different reasons, maybe, than a, than a man will, but still just as sinful. Maybe some of you women in here, you are uh, engaged in fantasy novels that I would say is like chick porn in many ways, to where you're placing yourself in the arms of a man who is pursuing you in a way that your husband is not. Some of you in here, you're involved in an emotional affair at work where you're talking with that person at work in ways you don't even talk to your own spouse. Some of you in here are taking mental snapshots of people within your own missional community or here on Sunday mornings that you just kind of remember later. Some of you, maybe you, you, you scan Facebook looking in like hope and maybe that person went on spring break and they actually wore a bikini and I can get that look or... I don't know what it may be, but I think if we can be honest, all of us have a temptation in this area. question is, what are we going to do about it? And I just want to say five things practically real quick that I think you can do to help fight this. And, and let me very, be very clear. By doing these things, God does not love you more. By not doing these things, God does not love you less. Is that clear? But here are some practical ways I think you can begin to fight the temptation of lust and spiritual idolatry. Number one, if you want to fight lust, pursue God. You never cheat on your spouse without first cheating on God. 
You never break the seventh commandment until you first break the first commandment. If I say to you right now, church, don't think about cake. What are you thinking about? You can't just walk around saying, don't lust, don't lust, don't lust, don't lust. What's going to happen when you do that? You're going to lust. You can't just like try to escape lust. You have to fill your mind with the things of God. That's why David said in Psalm 119.9, which isn't this good news, David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery and was still loved by God. But here's what he said. How in the world can a young man keep pure in his way? By guarding it according to your word. By hiding God's word in his heart. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when, when, when Paul's talking about how we can live a life honoring to God, he says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. If you want to really fight lust, you need to pursue God. Find things that stir your heart towards him and do it. Secondly, practically, if you're married, have sex. Can I get an amen from somebody? Amen. Gracious. I know as you get older, things don't work as they maybe used to, but you still need to try to pursue intimacy. I'm going to say something. It may be inappropriate. If it is, you can forgive me like Jesus has forgiven you. <laughs> I, think, I think it's going to help you remember this later. And actually, an older gentleman said this to me, and a very godly man, okay? And so he said to me one time, he was talking about uh, the importance of sexuality within marriage, and he says, Jared, I learned a long time ago. If a man can't get a steak dinner in the home, he'll get a bologna sandwich down the street. Okay? And uh, I think there's truth to that. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not justifying the man should do that. I'm just saying, again, have sex regularly within marriage. Or at least try to build the intimacy regularly within marriage. Third, guard your eyes. Job said in Job 31.1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. In other words, I'm not letting anything come in, right? The, the eye gate is kind of the, the window into the cell, right? And so it's like I'm not letting anything come in that, that can lead me into sin. And so for me, this is what this means. I have covenant eyes on my iPad, on my phone, and on my computer. Let me just say to you men, for those of you who don't, you're a real champion if you can keep from looking at porn um, or you're lying. I don't know which one it is. For me... I need covenant eyes on my computer to keep me from looking at porn in moments of weakness, in moments when I'm stressed. And so what covenant eyes does, it's, it's just you get a membership, Luke, somewhere in here. Oh, hey, front row, kind of. Um, if I look at anything questionable, it goes to him, and he holds me accountable to that, right? And, and so I have covenant eyes. I don't watch movies that have nudity in it. And, and girls, I would just encourage you to, and, and guys too, really. I mean, I would just encourage y'all not to do that. Especially guys, we are visual people. I don't know if you knew that or not. And so again, any guy that's like, I can watch movies without nudity. It doesn't do anything for me. Okay. <laughs> um, guard your eyes. Fourth, pray that God helps you to view people as he views people. I just feel like being honest with you this morning, okay? And some of you may not ever come back, but... Um, if, if you view people the way God views them, do you think you're going to want to take advantage of them sexually? I was in a counseling session not long ago, and I, I, as soon as it was over, I called Rusty, and we talked about this. I was in a counseling session, 
a married couple, struggling, girl walks in, beautiful girl, I actually never had met this couple before, girl walks in, beautiful girl, not really wearing anything skimpy, but definitely somewhat revealing, and they begin to talk about very, very intimate personal things that I, I, I caught myself beginning to lean towards imagining what was going on in an unhealthy way, and I had to stop and pray in that moment, God, please help me to view this girl as my sister in Christ, not as an object of my lust. And God helped me to do that. If this person is not your spouse, they are your brother or your sister. They are, at the very least, a daughter or son of... Uh, uh, they are God's children. Not someone for us to pray on. Ask for God to help you to love them as He loves them. Fifth, I would say this, get into community. If you're not in a missional community, get in. I do not have a clue how some of you are going through war without an army. I have no idea how you're doing it. I have no idea. You have to be getting hit all the time. Get in community. If you're, not, if you're in a missional community, get involved in a fight club. A fight club is a place where you can fight your sin in a safe place. You can come clean. You know what's great about coming clean, the Bible says? When you bring sin into the light, you cut the power of sin off. When you, as long as you leave sin in the darkness, you know what it does? It grows. It feeds off of darkness and becomes less and less manageable. Get involved in community. Now, let me ask you this. We're, we're getting close to wrapping up. If you pursue these five things, does it mean you will never fail again? No. Absolutely not. For me... My battle against lust is every single day. The fight for purity is a daily struggle. By God's grace, I am way better than I used to be, much further down the road than I used to be, but I'm still not perfect. And most of you can relate with me in this area. And I think here's what the enemy wants to do today to you. When there's a message like this being preached, the enemy wants to now convince you that you're used goods, that you're a flat tire, that you're a hopeless cause, he wants you to sit here in shame and guilt and despair. And if that's where you are, let's end on this encouraging story from John chapter 8, I believe. Starting in verse 3, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, speaking of Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say that we do? See what they're trying to do? Not only do they want to destroy this woman, they want to catch Jesus and get him in some sort of a little pickle, see what he's going to do. Like, are you going to be loving, or are you going to be law in this moment? Because the law says we should stone her, and it did. It did say that. They said this to test him, what that they might have some charge to bring against Jesus. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. I just imagine this moment. It's like, are you paying attention, Jesus? <laughs> and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at this woman. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they now? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. Stop looking for satisfaction in sex. 
go and sin. I don't, I, I don't condemn you. But he says, stop living in a way that's going to enslave you and hurt you. Now listen, it is very easy, especially if you've grown up in church, to miss the weight of what just happened here. Most of the time, when we see Pharisees, we think bad guys. And so anytime there are Pharisees involved, we think they must be in the wrong, and this poor innocent victim woman must be right. The reality is, this woman was a homewrecker. This woman was like a modern-day porn star. This woman did not care about the kids or the spouse of any of these men that she slept with. She was all about just getting hers. And somehow, some way, it'd be interesting to figure this out, she gets caught in adultery from one of these dudes, probably because they were there, honestly, and they pull her out, and they bring her in public, and they try to shame her in front of everybody and says, Now look at her! Woman's caught in adultery! Jesus, what are we going to do? They just got rocks in their hands. Now, let me ask you this. If you're this woman, and Jesus walks up to you, and you know he is perfect, what do you see Jesus doing? Because what he doesn't do is pick up a stone. He looks and he says, if you have no sin, throw a stone. Everybody leaves, and then I love this. He looks at the woman and he says, where are those who condemn you? And she says, they're not here. And he says, neither do I. I don't condemn you either. Guys, that's scandalous. He, he forgives this woman who had done nothing but wreck home after home after home after home after home because of her lust. If you're feeling condemned this morning and you are a Christian, that is not from God. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus has taken your condemnation, including the condemnation of sexual sin. Jesus actually has a special place in his heart for sexual sinners. He does not come here to throw rocks at us. He comes to invite us into a relationship with him. He comes and he says, I want you to confess your sin. Don't hide it. Don't sit in shame or get over it. I want you to confess a sin. I want you to bring it to me so that you can find, finally, the forgiveness and the healing and the joy you are looking for in sex that can only be found in me. If you were here today and you feel like a big sexual sinner, good news, Jesus says, you're the one I came for. You're the reason I came to die. He says in Mark 2.17, I did not come for the healthy. I came for those who know they are sick and they need a physician. I did not come for the righteous. I came for the sinner. If you were in here today and you say, I'm not a sinner, at least not in this area, all right, Jesus has nothing to say to you then. But if like me, if you can just agree today that, yeah, I still struggle with lust of the flesh. I'm still a sinner in need of Jesus, then you need to know he does not stand ready to stone you. He stands ready to love you. To give you a love that is never ending, that is never giving up, that is greater than any other love you could ever receive from anyone. And to receive this love, you don't have to pull yourself together. You don't have to wash yourself off first. You come as you are with your biggest and your baddest sins. And when you do, he says, my grace will be sufficient for you.